gold. start recording and we'll go a few seconds all right so welcome back everybody adjacent fam this is your boy alex thanks for tuning in for another episode of the adult adjacent podcast uh, i got another special guest for you today i got my good friend kimmy cantrell aka kimmy cantreezy how are you doing man i'm good thanks for having me alex of course I, you know I'm, I'm all about sharing the wealth and i don't have all the answers and so that's why i bring my friends who do have the answers to come do it oh. <laughs> too much pressure uh, no we got some answers <laughs> okay okay that's what i like to hear have some confidence <laughs> yeah, we got some we got some prey today yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, are you staying safe during covid is life treating you well life is good you know there's been a lot of a lot of change and a lot of opportunity we'll say but i think you know we're we're starting to get to a point where people are a little more courageous a little more um confident perhaps in their ability to navigate through things like this so it's not as scary as it once was okay i feel that so you're out here in the streets no mask or you wearing a mask <laughs> i i'm a mask girl as needed so if okay. i'm in a grocery store I definitely have a mask but i go for lots of walks and i try to have mask off for walks so I can breathe some fresh air. Okay. I support that. I, I'm here for that. Thank you. Uh, I, I can really, I can relate to people's courageousness. You know, I work in higher education, so we're trying to bring our students back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I saw a tweet that really <laughs> encompasses my thoughts on this. So uh, the tweet was referring to like planning for students to come back feels like planning for the fire festival. And <laughs> I absolutely laughed out loud and hollered. It was, it was a good time because... You know, you have all these details and then it could crash and burn. It'll be great. You know what? You never know. <laughs> and then um, it'll be a Netflix documentary series. Yes. So. <laughs> but let's hope that it doesn't crash and burn and we can, we can stay open and not get sued and all that good stuff. So <laughs> good times. Uh, all right. So today's topic um, is, so the episode is entitled, Is It Worth It? Let Me Work It. Are you familiar with the song reference? Of course I'm familiar. Okay. Okay. Just. Just, just making sure, you know, some people might not know the song. I don't know. Put that thing down. Flip it. Yes, flipping and reverse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I really was trying to think through like one of the biggest scams as I think about adult life that I didn't feel prepared for is uh, working for the for a large chunk of your adult life. Yes, yes. Right? Like you, you when, you're, when you're a little kid, you're like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you just throw out something that you see somebody do, right? Police officer, firefighter, professional athlete. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but then when you become an adult, you realize like that's something you really have to do for like 30, 40, 50 years mm -hmm. just to to make it. And I feel like we're not equipped or given the appropriate context as we choose a career growing up. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. And I think one thing that also is a disservice to many creative minds as children is that we're kind of, we're not told all of our options, right? Because I mean, how could you? There's so many jobs out there. And we're told, teacher, doctor, 
astronaut, you know, whenever mm-hmm. you are a little kid, it's these big, you know, um, dreams that you have, which those are great. But, you know, I said I wanted to be a teacher probably because I didn't know that I could do so many other things. You know, I didn't know that you could be an entrepreneur or you could work in higher education or you could work in a nonprofit or you could work doing any, I mean, you can make money doing anything these days. And I think that's one thing that I wasn't prepared for either, you know, in college, even how do you pick a major when you have no clue what in the world you want to mm-hmm. do? Um, so I think that there's, you know, uh, it's not talked about enough. There's career day, but it's not, <laughs> it's not quite, it doesn't end up the way careers look like, you know? Yeah. You get one day a year and see what people's parents do and be like, I want to be like them. <laughs> you don't realize that they had to use PTO just to be there and talk to you about it. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all a scam. It feels like yeah. all a scam, but we're going to change that with this podcast. One episode at a time, right? Absolutely. That's the that's goal. right. That's right. Um, so kind of you started this journey. And so I want to use your life as an example of kind of how we were programmed or not programmed to kind of explore careers and where we end up. Uh, and so I guess as you think back to, uh, elementary middle school Kimmy uh, I guess what are some like fond memories or like experiences that have shaped like what your career aspirations were then and how did you kind of traverse from that like how does that play out in how you live life that's a great question and I think you know I've said already a couple times here when I would say what do you want to do when you grow up I would say teacher a lot and I found myself you know, I do love teaching. No, I'm not a teacher. <laughs> For anybody interested, I'm not a teacher. Um, but I, what I realized is I just really love to help people. And that is, of course, you know, the most broad phrase in the world. But I just knew, I always knew from a really young age, I just want to help people. I don't know how, but I know that I'm going to. And I know that I can. And so I think having such a broad picture has allowed me to explore things that otherwise I may have not explored because I've realized, Oh, I can help people by doing that. I can help people by trying this. You know, there's no one way to help people. It's not like only being their doctor and giving them an education are the only way that you can help people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think having that broad mindset has overwhelmed me a lot in my life because I'm like, there's so much to do. How can I do it all? But it's also been a great launching pad for me to try new ways to help people. So I don't know that I, you know, little bitty, you know, Kimmy on the playground. I don't know that um, she really knew that, you know, if you had told me that I'd be doing what I do today, I probably would have said you, I would be like, that's not even real. But Yeah, um, yeah, that's real. Yeah, it's allowed me to explore new opportunities I otherwise probably wouldn't have. Okay. Um, so do you think, I guess, as you were growing up from like, I guess, middle school, high school, even in college, like, were there any, like, um, like, was your family, like, any kind of like feeding you into certain things or like, you should do this as a woman or like, did you get any messaging that kind of pigeonholes you in your thought process growing up? It's funny you ask that because I've been having this discussion with myself and my partner the past couple of weeks, but my parents actually didn't push me to do anything. And it used to drive me absolutely up the wall. I mean, I used to be like, why don't you care enough about me to make me do my homework? Why why aren't you forcing me to, you know, take my SATs or apply to these other colleges or 
I was a cheerleader in high school and they, you know, every time I'd go to tumbling class, all my friends would say like, oh, you know, my parents made me be here. And I'm like, what? My parents couldn't care less. Like, <laughs> my parents loved me. They just allowed me to choose. And so I, they, you know, they just were like, whatever you want to do, we support. And so for a long time, it made me frustrated because I felt like if they had pushed me differently, then I would have accomplished different things. You know, I'd have more to show for myself or what have you. And then I've recently come to terms with the fact that I actually really value that they didn't because everything that I have and I've accomplished is because I wanted to, you know, it's not because they made me, it's not because they locked me in my bedroom until I finished my homework. It's not because, you know, I went to tumbling class, unlike my friends, because I wanted to be there and I wanted to get better. I went to college because I wanted to go. I took my SATs because I wanted to go to college. I, you know, so I think, um, and again, I, my dad is a doctor. My mom is a nurse. Like they came from, you know, good fields that could very much have tried to push me into healthcare too. And they just didn't, you know, they said, whatever you want to do, we support. And, and for a long time, I thought that that was not the way to go. <laughs> and now <laughs> I'm older, you know, I can really appreciate that, um, you know, the freedom that they kind of gave me and allowed me to choose what I wanted to do and, you know, ultimately what I wanted to be. Okay. That's, that's really awesome. Cause I feel like many parents are working on a college campus, but even when I think back, like growing up, many people that are, were my peers, Oh, I'm only doing this cause my mom wants me to do this. Or like, right. you know, they didn't think this profession was real. So I had to go do something else or they care for my college. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's terrible. It is terrible. And sometimes it works out. You know, I think about, um, for some people who they're like, yeah, I'm only going to medical school because my parents told me I had to, <laughs> but yeah. then they end up loving being a doctor and they end up loving working healthcare. So, you know, I think sometimes it does work out, um, but not always. And so it's, you know, an interesting dichotomy there of you know, doing what people want you to do and doing what you want to do. No, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so I guess you, you brought up going to college. So when you were in college, I guess, since you went there on your own, uh, what was your major in college? Cause I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I graduated with my bachelor's in communication, but I'm pretty sure I had like five majors while I was there. And I started psychology. I transitioned to English. I moved into literature. I somehow found my way into communication probably because it's very generic. <laughs> I just knew I needed a degree, right? I was like, I just need to graduate. Um, which I actually, I'm, I love, I'm so grateful for my background in communication. I feel like it has actually provided me with so much foundation for just how to manage people and obviously how to talk to people, how to, I work in, you know, business development and sales. And so I just feel like so much of what I learned in communicating helps me with that. So it ended up being great, but um, it was, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of uncertainty there for a while <laughs> as I bounced around. Um, but, you know, one thing that pulled me through, and you'll appreciate this because, you know, of your um, profession, but I just, I was an, an RA resident assistant and I loved being an RA. I wish I could be an RA forever. <laughs> I, wish I, I could praise that moment in life and just be, you know, seeing her in college being an RA forever because I just felt like, you know, college students have such uh, multiple minds. And I just felt like I 
was able to really help people, you know, help them decide what their best major is and help them decide what they can be when they grow up and help them decide, you know, should they be with their girlfriend or break up with them. You know, I got to help them make what felt like these like huge life decisions. Um, and and I, I think my whole life I've just known that that type of impact is possible and that's kind of what I chase is being able to help people at that level. Okay. Okay. That's, that's so funny. Like you're, you're the second person that's, uh, that I've interviewed that's made reference to like how their RA experience has shaped their career tra- oh, trajectory. Yeah. It's shaped who I am as a human. And, you know, as a freshman in college, if you had asked me the same thing about what I thought about RAs, I would not have answered that. <laughs> I would not have felt that way. Um, but it's something I grew into, I guess. Um, and it was yeah, it was great. I talked about it forever, but that's how I'm here today. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, and so you're a, you're someone that has uh, you're part of an elite club in the, in the world. Uh, you have a master's degree. Uh, and so I guess how did you translate, figure out what you wanted to study in your master's degree after you had your journey of like figuring out your major while you were in college? Well, I loved being an RA so much that my housing department said, "Would you like to be a hall director and get a master's degree?" And I said. Yeah, let's do it. So I did it. And um, my degree is in educational leadership. And I loved it. It was great. I'm happy to have um, attained that. But I unfortunately don't currently work in higher education. So sometimes I feel like it, you know, um, not that I'm not using it because I think it molded who I am as a person. But you know, there's so much student development theory I have in my brain that I just don't use anymore. <laughs> <laughs> LOL. Um, that's that's such a, a relatable experience, right? Like, I imagine <laughs> most, like most people in our age range, like, you know, you either got a college degree or like a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. And like at that time in your life, like you was interested in that. But then quickly after that, like life pivoted, your interest has shifted into like you're now working in a profession that has nothing explicitly to do with your like your degree. And I'll tell you why that happened for me, because I was all in. You know, I was ready to do a higher ed. I was like, this is my space. Like I love it. And I moved to Washington, D.C. and, you know, had nothing but hope and dream and was super excited to make an impact and then got hit by the job market. <laughs> nobody trains you on the job market either. No, nobody mm-hmm. trains you on the fact that you will apply and apply and apply and apply and submit, interview, you know, submit resume after resume after resume. You will interview and you will just continue to not be selected. And you will continue to not hear back from people. And it's really discouraging. And so after, honestly, probably eight months of job searching in higher education and not getting anything, I was like, okay, clearly I need to pivot. And so I started looking into the nonprofit sector and I, the next week had an interview with my current company, which is careers and nonprofits. And, um, we're a staffing firm. So we help people get jobs in the nonprofit sector. And at that point, I literally was like, I'll do anything. Put me in coach. I do not care. <laughs> like I will literally, I don't care what it is. I'll be amazing at it because I've had eight months to relax and wait. Um, so when I finally got this opportunity, I really felt like it was a great privilege to, you know, go from having struggled to find a job to now getting to help people get jobs. And so I've stayed in it ever since. And I've grown in the company and it just feels really 
helpful to you know it was really monumental to me that I can use my experience that wasn't necessarily fun or awesome to relate to other people and to help other people and would I ever go back to higher ed? Totally. You know, it's not like I wanted to leave it. I just didn't want to accept me at the time. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And so now that's, that's where I'm at now. And I think um, that time in my life really helped me build a lot of, or not build, I mean, yeah, build, but recognize the, you know, need for resilience, you know, the need to stay encouraged even when things aren't necessarily going your way. And that's not something that they teach you in college. <laughs> so you stay resilient in the midst of your job search. So that's where we are today. <laughs> okay, okay. They do not teach you how to navigate tough job markets. No. Uh, I'd say <laughs> people... Your salary, you know, like uh, things. So many things. Only business majors learn that kind of stuff. Because I learned that in college if I was a business major. Right, uh, they're, they're equipped for the world, but everybody else is just kind of like, it'll work out. And it's like, no, we need more than that. Please. So I want to hear your thoughts or kind of like want to talk through like the phenomena of like changing careers. So I guess like when you think about it, like our parents were like, you know, they grow up, you go to college, you get that degree, you get in that field, you stay in that field, you retire. Right. Mm-hmm. That was, that was their way of life. But like for us, that is no one's reality. That's not many people's reality. Or even if you stay in the same career field, you probably do something completely different than you thought you ever would have did. And so, like, I guess, how do you think people, like, what advice would you give people to navigate, like, the shame or, like, freedom of, like, being able to change careers? Such a good question. We talk to people about this a lot because, you know, we work in the nonprofit sector and a lot of people will decide at some point when they've worked for for profit their whole life, all of a sudden they're like, I want to do something different. <laughs> I want to do something different. <laughs> Feels more meaningful, and so they try to pivot into the nonprofit sector, and they often get a lot of either non-response or sorry, we don't want to hire you because you're not experienced in the sector. And so they come to us and like, how can I make this happen? And is it possible? Yeah, but it does take a lot of, as I mentioned before, resilience because you know sometimes it, it takes time for you to help a hiring manager see or understand. How your experience could be applicable if it's not exactly what their job description says it needs to be. And it's interesting because, you know, we've actually done so much of a 360 that if you have worked at one company for like 10 years, it's kind of frowned upon. You know, people are like, uh, why? Like, do you, are you even hip to the market right now? Are you even hip to how things have progressed? And you know, I've been at my company for over four years and people are like, wow, that's a really long time. I'm like, is it? <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like that long. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting how that has evolved. And I just think that at the end of the day, life is just too short to not do work that feels meaningful. And so is it going to be challenging to change sectors? Maybe. Is it going to be challenging to find that meaningful work? Probably. But is it worth it? I think so. Because like we said at the beginning of this, like working is one thing you'll do forever. I mean, you're going to be working and trying to make money until you don't have to anymore, which, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, but for most people, it's going to be a crazy good amount of time. And 
if you don't feel like your work is meaningful, you know, if you don't get something out of it that fills your cup and, you know, brings you energy and life, it's just going to bring you down. And so I think, you know, is it, is it worth it? Yeah. Um, but it may be hard. <laughs> but that's okay, because you just give yourself a good support system and a good mentor, and I think you can get through anything. But I do think finding meaningful work is the only way to go. Okay. Okay. I liked how you used the, the, the episode <laughs> title. And, uh, is it worth it? Work it. I see what you did, Kimmy. I, I support that. No. <laughs> um, but pretty much what you said is like so true, man. Well, I think I have a bachelor's degree in information systems. And like, I knew very quickly when I was in college, like probably like when I got halfway through my like major programming, I was like, this is not going to be the move, man. I could probably make a lot of money doing this, but uh, this, this ain't it. And so I think working in education kind of like helped me live out something I always wanted to do. So growing up, uh, young Alex wanted to be a teacher, right? Like I, yeah, one, of the, I one of the few males you'll ever meet in the world, especially black males that uh, actually wanted to be a teacher. And the reason I changed my mind very quickly was in North Carolina, teachers get paid nothing. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing my teachers get their paycheck and be like, Ooh, I'm glad I got another job. And I'm like, what? And it's just like that, that killed my whole desire to want to be a school teacher from then. And so, you know, typical male stuff, you get thrown into tech, like, oh yeah, you should be in tech. And I was in the information technology thing and like, I understood it and like, I was good at it, but that just wasn't my ministry. And so like, mm-hmm. uh, being in college was helpful. So being an RA also changed my life, which is <laughs> pretty, pretty wild to say, because I think that was my opportunity to kind of like teach people, like not in a formal sense, but um, I think teaching people life skills and helping people kind of navigate their challenges they face while in college. And so that's essentially how I got to where I am. So uh, you're so right, man. You got to follow where you want to go because in education, I probably won't ever be like some big money billionaire. I'll never be the, you know, Forbes, the richest man. Uh, but I think the impact I'm able to make in students' lives is, has been helpful for me and like fulfilling so far. And I think that type of impact is what really makes you rich. You know, like money is great. We need it to live. But I think when you know that you are in your flow and like in the zone and helping people in a way that you just can't even put into words, if you really just can't put a price on that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I feel that. I want to get your thoughts on a quote that is said a lot, quoted a lot. I see it on Instagram. I see it on Twitter. I see it everywhere. So I want to get your your two cents and thoughts on it. So the quote goes as follows. So if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's sweet, right? I think it's a really sweet sentiment. And I love my job, but I definitely work for it. You know, I I think the difference is that you enjoy it. You know, I think the difference is that when you're having hard days, you can remember that this is your passion. But nothing is ever just easy, right? Whether it's like, and that's not to say everything has to be hard, but, you know, if you're really growing, I think there has to be some type of challenge, right? And so a challenge takes work. You don't just show up to a Spartan race and just pour and roll through it. You know, it's hard. Is it accomplishable? <laughs> yes, but it's still challenging and so I think the idea behind the phrase is true because when I have challenging days you know I've seen people who really dislike their job 
and the way that they feel when they have a bad day is very, very different from the way that I feel when I have a bad day. Yeah, that's true. Did you hear me there? I'm sorry, this is me talking out of line, but Siri decided to start listening to me. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, that was really weird because Siri was talking to me too. <laughs> but, but anyway, I so yes, I do think that you will work most days of your life, but I think that you can, it's different, you know, it's, um, it's worth it to you. Yes, um, I I agree. Um, I also think this this quote is a is very gaslighty, right? Like I think, you know, you're always just gonna have great days at work. I'm like, that's that's not true at all. Like I don't have great days in all areas of my life, but like even if I enjoy doing it, like I, I don't always, you know, I enjoy playing basketball, but I'm not gonna be hitting a jumper. Not always gonna be on. Some days it's gonna be off. That's okay. Uh, some days it's gonna be hard. I'm not in shape, or like I didn't get enough rest. Like there's a number of things that can play into like having bad days, but you still can enjoy and appreciate the exertion of energy that it takes to come through that and so i agree uh, people please don't let people gas at you with this phrase if they say that to you <laughs> tell them it's a lie or like challenge them on them like tell me more because that doesn't make sense <laughs> Help me understand. <laughs> you spend you know if it's a traditional job roughly 40 hours physically there driving there taking gas all of that that's all work right and so like it's you all know, work but it's, you know, hopefully worth it to you. Yes, it can be fulfilling work, but it's it's still worth it in the day. And I like working. I like working hard, so I'm not not mad about it. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel that. Um, So another thing I've I've started to notice um, in our, like, age range of people is kind of like there is this, like, moral dilemma. Uh, So I think on, you know, there's on Twitter and social media, like, there's a group of people that are, like, you just have to always be working and achieving, right? And so, like, this turns into, like, being an entrepreneur or, like, working at a nine-to-five, right? I think that's, like, the, the newest dilemma of people our age. Once you hit, like, a point where, like, my career is not fulfilling. And so some people be like, well, you need to go start a business. You need to do this. And you'd be like, oh, you're working for the man. But then other other people are like, it's okay to work uh, a nine-to-five. And so I guess what are your thoughts and, like, what advice do you have for people as they navigate, like, that dilemma for themselves? Yeah, that's such a good one. And I think, I think you're so right because especially once you start seeing people in your circle like have their own businesses and you're like, oh wow, what a good idea. Oh my gosh, I'm going to do that. But I know for me personally, like I, at this juncture in my life, have absolutely no desire to own a business. <laughs> I don't. You know, like I just... I, in my role where I sit in my company, I see, you know, I report directly to the business owner. And so there's a lot of things that I, you know, um, am able to help with and assist with that feels very valuable to me. And there's some of the things that I feel grateful that I don't have to help and assist with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my dad's a business owner. And similarly, I just think that there's a lot to it. Now, am I trying to knock it? Absolutely not. Like, I want you to be a business owner, and I want to help you make your business great. (laughs) So let me be your number two. Um, But I do think that that's taken me a while to get there because there's been a lot of dissonance in my own brain of, you know, I'm very competitive, and I'm very high-achieving. And so, you know, I'm like, well, I'm not being successful if I'm not only my own business or creating my own product or, you know, and that's just not true because I think that 
we need everybody, right? Like everybody brings a different contribution to this world. And I think that my new contribution to this world is that I'm going to be really amazing at helping people that I love get their dreams to come true. But like, I don't want to own a business, you know, <laughs> right now. And, and you know, don't mark my words, that could change one day. But, you know, I just, I, that's just not where my passion lies. And so I think what really needs to happen is people just need to come to terms with what is your goal? You know, like, what do you want? And like, don't do anything but that. And if that's own business, do it. You know, which you're not even do both if you have to for a while. But, you know, like we said, I just think following, like figuring out what your dream is and doing whatever it takes to do that. I think that's what's really important. But do it because it's authentic to you, not just because everybody in your circle is doing it because you feel like you have to. Um, so I would say it really just takes a lot of self-awareness to figure out what you should do in that scenario. Mm, that's so good, man. That's so good. Uh, I think... <laughs> I think a lot of times, even as adults, right, I think the premise, kind of like my show, right, adult adjacent, uh, and it's like a lot of times, like, you're an adult, but you know, I always feel like an adult, and a lot of it is just like self-awareness, right? Like, you you don't feel like you have the knowledge or the skills or the ability to do certain things, but you really do. You just kind of have to work towards it, and you have to really be intentional about how to work through that, and if you don't know, like, what steps are you doing to help you get to that point, right? Exactly. Um, nobody knows everything, but like, you won't learn it until you take the steps to try to figure it out, and so. Um, I think I think that's the same way with entrepreneurship. Like oftentimes I have a few friends that have their own business and it's like, they'll tweet running a business is not for the weak of heart. Like you can't be faint of heart trying to be an entrepreneur because it's not always roses and sunshines. Your days are not always just like, you know, I got all this time to travel. Like some, some weeks, like you just are working 80 hours weeks as you send the infrastructure for your business. And so like, that's a side that doesn't always get illustrated, right? Like you don't ever see people's hustle. You just see like their shine. And so like, yeah, you have like, yeah, you know, people have businesses, but like some people's businesses are failing. Uh, like you don't know the particulars of it. And it's just a steep learning curve, man. Like mm -hmm. getting it registered as a business LLC and CO3, all of that, like all the, all the <laughs> things that go into it. It's not as sexy as, and some people don't want that. Like that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely not as sexy, that's for sure. Yeah, that's that's not my ministry and uh, <laughs> I will stay in education and impact the students that way. <laughs> totally. And I think you can have uh, you know, I think you can have impact wherever you go if that's your goal. You know, I think you can have impact being at any job, you can have impact if that's what you want to do. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. Uh so advice for the people, just do what works best for you and follow that path. So if it's entrepreneurship, do that. If it's working for a company, do that. If it's both, do that too, you know, whatever. <laughs> There's no singular way to do this, man. C create your own path and then follow it and see what, see what happens. Exactly. That's what I would say. Uh, all right. So I kind of want to transition a little bit. So one of the topics, I guess, is probably like in your wheelhouse within your position is like resilience in the job search. Right. I think oftentimes most people can relate, kind of like you said earlier, you know, you had this plan of what I was going to do with, the, with degrees and then that eight months of not having a job and like searching is was was very treacherous. And I think a lot of people lose hope and kind of get discouraged through like the, the perils of job search. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a few things I kind of want to like get your uh, thoughts and expertise on. Sound good? Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Um, all right. So 
the first thing is, I guess, like the emotional side of job searching. Because uh, I think oftentimes people don't fully illustrate kind of like the mental side that goes into uh, like searching for a job and like going through the process and then like not getting it. And then like where you find your like self-identity. So I guess like what are some things that you've seen about the mental side of job searching that you can kind of provide light to? Honestly, the mental side is the hardest part because it, you know, after so much rejection, you really start to question yourself and your capabilities and who you are. And, you know, if you are actively unemployed, not only are you not honing your skills, you know, you can't even say, well, I'm really great at doing this at work. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you just start <laughs> to really question everything. And that was not something I was prepared for. I consider myself, you know, I love myself. I do a lot of work on myself. I meditate, I work out, you know, journal, self-love, all that good stuff. And I consider myself very optimistic. And yet, after probably month, you know, month one, month two, I was like, yeah, this is cool. I'm chilling. <laughs> and after <laughs> two months, I was like, this is not it. Like, this is not fun. And I don't know how to get out of this funk. Um, and so I think, you know, there's so much to be said about loving yourself, right? There's so much to be said about um, being confident in who you are. And that's the hardest thing, I think, when you're interviewing, because once you start to lose that confidence, you can tell in the interview. Mm-hmm. And you want to hire somebody that feels capable. And if you're sitting there being like, I'm not sure either. <laughs> if you're sitting there being like, I don't know if I can do it either, because everybody else tells me no, then it's going to be a lot harder of a sell. Because this person doesn't know you. You know, they have no idea that you've been job switching for eight months. They have no idea that you had to pep talk yourself in front of the mirror for 30 minutes before you showed up that day. They don't know. All they know is what you're giving them right then. And so I think it's just so important that, like, you can feel those feelings, and you will, and you have to, you know, if you start feeling doubt and discouragement, like, you have to recognize, like, I'm feeling this way, but what am I going to do about it? I can't live like this. You know, I can't just walk into an interview and say, I don't know why you want to hire me either. You know, you have to walk in and say, because I'm awesome, because I'm amazing, because this is how I can contribute, this is how I can make your mission better. And so that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice, um, like literally sitting in front of your mirror for 30 minutes and coaching yourself through, like, I'm awesome, I'm great. And there's as many affirmations as you can think of because you have to be convincing. You know, you have to believe that that is true, even if you maybe don't in that moment. Um, And so I think that's probably, you know, the hardest part, because when you're interviewing, you're really selling yourself. And it's a conversation between you and the person to determine if you guys are going to be a great match with each other. But if you're really, you know, I don't like to use this word, but if you're feeling really desperate, it's going to come across as very desperate. And so instead, I think if you can get yourself to a place of, maybe this hasn't gone my way for this long, and I don't like it, you know, but what can I do about it? And how is it helping me? How is it benefiting me? How is this actually getting me closer to where I want to be? And so just trying to find the goodness that's happening in the circumstance and reminding yourself that that interview is your opportunity to be your greatest version of yourself so that way you can get this dream job or this job or this stepping stone or whatever it is for you. But finding that confidence for that interview is so important because that's the game changer in, in those conversations. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. Um, as I was doing research for like this, this podcast, uh, I, I came across the term and I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I'm going to tell, 
tell you what it is. So the term is pluralistic ignorance. Uh, And what this term means is we each doubt ourselves privately, but believe we are alone in thinking that way because no one else voices their experiences. Um, So I guess, what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. And, and I can say that with such confidence because in my role at careers and nonprofits, we interview job seekers constantly. Like that is the bulk of what we do is interview job seekers plus talking to hiring managers, right? And in those conversations, I don't know what it is about recruiters, but people just open up to you. They just tell you things you didn't ask for. They just really <laughs> put it all on the table. And I would be lying if I said that that wasn't the discussion almost 100% of the time. So many people feel out of control, incapable. They and they, you know, they believe that, but they also do believe that they have, you know. The, the strength and the courage, you know, they believe both sides of things, but to say that that piece isn't there is just not true. And so it's so interesting because we all do <laughs> this way. You know, nobody loves job searching. To find me somebody who loves it, and I'll say, you are making it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. And for some reason, we just feel like we have to keep it to ourselves. And, you know, everything, I think everything is easier when you can share the load. And so I just feel like, being open about that with people and and sharing your experience just makes it so much easier for the next person. And, you know, ever since I've gotten my role at CMP, that's what I do is I empathize with every person who comes in our door because it would be very easy for them to say, well, you can't relate to how I'm feeling because you have this great job with careers and nonprofits. But no, I can. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) It's not fun. I feel you. And so I think it's just really important to share that narrative because it just makes like I said it makes the load a lot lighter yeah very true man normalize these feelings that we feel man I think as as adults and as we get older like we experience and like feel so many things that we don't always like normalize them right like you know feeling inadequate or like let's say if you're a new parent like who mm-hmm. in the world let me be as a parent or like whatever insert thing like yeah. just like who let me do this and it's like you got to feel that like that's real and that's authentic because like everybody feels that but then like what can you do to work through that and pass for sure and you know feeling it feelings is like such a gift we're the only you know humans are the only species that gets to feel this multitude of emotions and they're just that they're emotions so you know easier said than done of course when you're feeling afraid like yeah this is not the same as joy <laughs> like this is not the same. <laughs> But they are just feelings. And so I think reminding yourself that like this is a gift that I get to experience this and how can I use it to continue to tell my story, I think I think feelings are really special. But that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. That's that's so true. Uh, all right, so I guess we hit the point where I, I wanna start giving some people some some advice and kind of picking your brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are three like action items you would give somebody that was in the boat of like, they kind of feel stuck in a career they don't like and they want to kind of work to move past that and get to something they want to do. Like what three things would you suggest them to, to do to start that process of finding a new avenue to work? I think that number one, I would say is start to get really raw about what it is you want. So there's a great exercise to do um, where you literally just, for 90 seconds, start saying things out loud that you want. Um, and 90 seconds doesn't seem like a long time, but 
it actually is <laughs> when you're just trying to think of things you want because at first you start saying like I want lunch I want a new pair of shoes and then you start saying things like I want to make an impact I want to you know supervise a team that I can mold and grow and you know after time you start to really think about truly the desires of your heart and I think that's got to be step number one because if you're not even sure then how do you know if you got it you know so I think mm-hmm. number one is to get really raw and transparent with yourself of what that is number two I would say is kind of create like a vision board if you will of what that looks like and how to get there so let's say you do step one like what is it that I want and it's to, we'll say, be the president because um, we could use some great leadership. You <laughs> put that as your goal. So what steps do I need to do starting today to get myself there? Um, and it can be as small as, you know, network with the local government in my community. It could be as small as run for the president of this association that I'm a member of. You know, just so that you can get experience. So you know, it doesn't have to be like, here's my goal. I'm going to get to it tomorrow. But like what tiny little steps can you take every single day to get yourself there? And I'll say number three is probably, I'm going to use the word network, but I mean that in like the most basic sense. Like, yes, go network with other, you know, the same scenario of being president. Go network with other politicians. But also I think even just conversations like this, like talking to your friends and telling them about your dreams, you know, letting people know what your goals are, because if other people know what your goals are, they can help you get there. Because for all I know, if I really did want to be president, I could say that to you and you know, six different people or six different things that would help me get there that I didn't know otherwise. And so I think, you know, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with our goals and our dreams and letting other people help us accomplish those is how the world becomes a better place because we all just are helping people all the time. So I'll say number one, Get raw with yourself about what you want. Number two, make an action plan. And number three, network. Okay, okay. Those those are great great examples. Um, I could also see you being the president if you just if you know. <laughs> apparently, you know, it's, apparently it's not a hard thing to do. You just got to have some money. Apparently, so, like, yeah, money is gets, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, those aren't hard things to do. Well, make, getting money is hard, but uh, <laughs> we can work hard. <laughs> okay, you know, you can pull up resources. All our friends will support you. Yeah, the whale. And then I'd say, what advice would you give for people that are like interested in exploring entrepreneurship? Right. I, so I guess like maybe not every step you need to do, but like what are three things that you would suggest? Like if they want to explore that road, like what are things that you would suggest them to consider as they go down that path? Well, I would say, I think it's probably pretty similar to the last few that I gave. And I don't know that I'm the best advice person for entrepreneurship because I'm an entrepreneur. (laughs) Um, But I think, again, that, you know, figuring out what your goal is, is always going to be number one. Because if you're just throwing darts and hoping something sticks, like, you're going to have a hard time feeling fulfilled because you won't even know when it sticks if it's right. And so I think, you know, really getting concrete on what you want at the same time i think that we often can limit ourselves because we're waiting until everything's perfect right it's like i can't figure out this yet because i'm not quite ready and 
I don't have all the information, I don't have all the details. And sometimes done is better than perfect. You know, sometimes you just gotta launch the website, sometimes you just gotta start the podcast, sometimes you just gotta write the first page and just get it, just get it flowing, get it started. Because we will, you know, our limiting beliefs will hold us back forever because we're afraid. I mean, we don't want to fail. And if you don't try, you can't fail. Um, but that is the worst. <laughs> you should definitely try, you should definitely just get started because you can what if yourself to death. You know, you can literally never get it going because you're like, well, maybe I could have, and that just doesn't do anything for you. So I would say, you know, again, get get clear on what you want, but then also get started. That's really what I would say. It's just like get going, quit making excuses. Yes, yes, that that's great advice. Um, I'm glad you said about the podcast because this has been like an idea for me, probably like the whole like academic year. Um, like I bought all the stuff I needed in like September, October, and then my first episode didn't start to June first, right? So like I think it's very easy to like <laughs> it's, it's easy to start, but then like if you, nobody's holding you accountable, because at that point like I'll tell my girlfriend a little bit, but like it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like deep into it. Um, right. And then one of my colleagues, and then as I got further into it, my girlfriend got a little harder with the accountability so yes and here i am struggling through the podcast try to make it out figure it out uh hopefully people are getting something out of this so <laughs> um okay um so i guess is there any final advice any parting words anything you want to give people as they navigate uh their work journeys as adults i would just say that there's only one of you and what you have is unlike anything that can be created anywhere else. And I think a lot of times we feel like we have to have this huge contribution and this massive, you know, footprint and we have to make this huge impact. And is that amazing? Yes. But you alone are amazing. And whatever your ministry is, your passion is, your 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 dream is, is needed in the world. And so I would say, don't let yourself play small. And whatever it is that you want to do, just do it. And if you have a hard time getting courage, you can find someone like me. I will happily be your cheerleader forever. I'm so loyal. I'll be here for you. <laughs> we just need to find other people that help us help ourselves. Because at the end of the day, like, this is just a fun journey called life. And like we said, it's too short not to go on. So I think whatever it is, go for it with all your heart. Surround yourself with people that love you and get at it. All right. And there it is. Wise words from good old Kimmy Cantrell. We we love to hear it. Thank you so much, man. Uh, I guess if people want you to be their cheerleader or follow you, um, how can they be in contact? How can they stay in contact? For sure. So I'm actually super easy to find, whether that's on Google, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. It's just my first and last name, Kimmy Cantrell, just K-I-M-M-I-C-A-N-T-R-E-L-L. Okay, there it is. I will put all that in the show notes to anybody if you really want to, if you didn't catch it the first time or you need to rewind, um, it'll be in the show notes as well. And we'll kind of go from there. Thank you so much, Kimmy, for uh, giving us your expertise. And thank you to all the listeners for being part of part of the process, part of part of the journey. Hopefully, you learned something. And as always, stay adjacent. And if you need something, let me know. All right, bye.